What is up, folks? Welcome back to another episode of the Repertoire Podcast. My name is Justin Kana, and today we have the pleasure of welcoming Suzanne Vizethan on the show. She is a chef out of Atlanta. Her and I actually got connected. If you are familiar with previous podcast episodes we've done with a gentleman named Dazfi, he is an artist. He works in hospitality businesses doing murals, and he has a menu art project. They kind of Dazfi used to live in Atlanta, and so we kind of became internet friends, Suzanne and I. And then during it's close to the pandemic times we started to chat a little bit more and she was getting into content creation and so her and I started to talk a little bit and so that is just you know an interesting backstory on how her and I got connected and it's been long overdue to have her on the podcast because to you know gas up our guest a little bit I respect Suzanne a lot as both an operator her ability to just kind of like take advantage of an underserved market which for her is breakfast she's written cookbooks she's competed on TV she's done a bunch of different stuff in the entrepreneurship realm and I'm just excited for her to share her knowledge today. And, you know, I, I gave a little bit of a preamble not to share too much because Suzanne will, will appreciate a little bit the the experimentation here. And just to be clear, I did proofread this before I'm going to say it, but I asked ChatGPT4 for, for a intro for Chef Suzanne. And so to kind of <laughs> do, a, do a funny, um, show you how this is powerful, this saved me probably like, I don't know, three, four minutes of writing and a little bit of searching through her website. And also the way that it words it, I gave it the context of use language that would appeal to a restaurant operator and please write a podcast introduction for Suzanne. And to just give you a little bit more insight into how I'm using these tools, I asked, as a prompt, I asked, do you know who Chef Suzanne Vizethan is? And so it gave me confirmation that it did indeed know who she was. And so here is ChatGPT's intro to our guest today. All right, here we go. Today, we have a special guest whose innovative approach to Southern food, comfort food and commitment to local sustainable ingredients has captured the hearts and taste buds of food lovers in Atlanta and beyond. In this episode, we are thrilled to announce Chef Suzanne Vizethan, owner and executive chef of their renowned Buttermilk Kitchen. With a keen eye for detail and a passion for creating dishes that leave a lasting impression, Suzanne has transformed her restaurant in, in Atlanta into a staple, offering unique culinary experiences that celebrate the rich flavors of Southern cuisine. Join us as we deep dive into the mind of this culinary maverick, exploring her journey from humble beginnings to becoming an award-winning chef and restaurateur. Get ready to learn from her expertise in menu creation, navigating the challenges of the food industry, and building a successful brand that resonates with restaurant operators and food enthusiasts alike. So without further ado, let's give a warm welcome to the one and only Chef Suzanne. Not bad. Listen, as much as I know I say we're in the food business, in a lot of ways we're in the people business. And what that often requires is team management. Between trying to get the latest schedule out the door, keeping track of all the time off requests your team puts in, and finding out where your labor is tracking for the day, it can be all so overwhelming. Seven Shifts is that secret weapon type tool that's your operation's best asset. Let Seven Shifts help you streamline your team's work schedule. If you want to see the difference in your team's productivity and satisfaction, Seven Shifts is giving you listeners a three-month free trial of their The Works tier, which I'm actually super stoked on because it's unlimited employees on this trial. So it's not like other trials where you kind of just get a little bit of the stuff. You can do this with unlimited employees regardless of the size of your business. So you can really kick the tires on the product and test all the great features like payroll integration and advanced reporting. Visit joinrepertoire.com slash seven shifts. That's the number seven S-H-I-F-T-S. Or you can easily just click the link in the description of this podcast to try seven shifts now and see the difference for yourself. Thanks so much to seven shifts for sponsoring this episode. Suzanne, it's super, super good to see you. And thanks for coming on the show. It's been long overdue that we can catch up and have this conversation recorded. I know. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I did this breakdown of the show The Bear. And there's this episode in that show where they have this whole line, which is like, fuck brunch. And the story goes that you were working nights on the fine dining side of things. And you were like, hey, I'm actually a morning person. Breakfast is a meal that people love. I'm going to come in and capitalize on this underserved niche. So can you pose the argument for for brunch and maybe just talk a little bit about how you've kind of taken brunch and breakfast and made it this thing that you've kind of built your business off of in a really successful way? Yeah, you know, again, I think obviously it's very important, especially in a restaurant, any business is, you know, what, what makes you stand out? What makes you unique? 
So especially for me in the Atlanta market, I knew there just wasn't many chef-driven restaurants out there for brunch. I quickly found out why. You know, at first, Beth, <laughs> brunch, is, brunch is very difficult and challenging, right? Totally. It's very fast-paced. You're cooking eggs. It's a grind, for sure. And I definitely, in the beginning, missed the finesse of fine dining and just having time to start your day. You know, there's none of that in the breakfast restaurant. You are full steam ahead the minute you walk in the door. But I also knew that would give us a huge competitive advantage because no one was really putting, you know, it's like, why can't we take a restaurant and make it breakfast, make it brunch, make it relatable, of course, but have those same details as you'd find in fine dining. So for us, it was, it was a challenge. I mean, people didn't understand why we were charging the prices we were charging. It took a lot of education, a lot of communication between our servers and our and our guests. But once we got there, you know, it, it was it just really set us apart from everybody else because most breakfasts and brunch places, unfortunately, are making things out of a box and and we we, do, we just don't th- do things that way. We're you know we make everything fresh and that same pride, attention to detail, and care you would find in a you know, more of of a fine dining type of situation. So that's been really important for us. Can you expand a little bit on potential operational tips, things that you guys think that you have figured out where if you saw someone else executing brunch, even if they like, let's say that the the, the listener does want to do brunch Mm -hmm. well, like they do want to have a high level of execution, things that you teach your team or that your managers like to keep in mind with brunch that set you apart? Yeah, I think, again, it's it's really the simplicity of using really great ingredients. You know, Mm. I think I always believe that a chef is as good as their ingredients they use. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. In the beginning, I think I was, I overthought it almost in a way of, oh, everything has to be so perfect. And, but I really do believe that if you just take pride and sourcing for us too. local is very important sourcing local but you know it's everything comes down from the buttermilk we use to the flour we use and then that obviously has a huge impact on the execution right so it's little little things like we heat our maple syrup we keep it heated because mm. I think that makes a, a difference. Like I don't want cold maple syrup on my pancakes. We also use 100% real maple syrup. And again, I think people just taste the difference. We like to fresh squeeze our juice. I just think that a lot of those little details get missed in breakfast, especially. So, you know, again, we, we just try to tell our, we try to just educate our staff on why those little things make a big difference. And so I would just encourage someone that does want to have a breakfast or brunch restaurant to just pay attention to those little details. They're easily overlooked, especially in breakfast where most people are striving to run at 18% to 22% food cost. We're running 30%. So you just have to make sure that your, you know, your menu prices reflect that, right? Which, which can be a challenge. You, you touched on speed too. Like there, there's a different level of it's almost diner expectation and the way that people consume a meal like Mm -hmm. breakfast. And I talked about it in my breakdown video where it's like, there's often larger parties, whereas dinner you'll often see more. And it's not like brunch doesn't have like two to- a large influx of two tops. But I think that there's there's a different inner expectation. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys think about that or any sort of tips or operational strategies that you deploy there to make sure that meals can go Sure. Fast? So, you know, again, we do strive for 15 minute ticket times or less. And again, I just think that's what people expect in the, in the brunch mm. diner environment. So, you know, in order to do that, we, we have a pretty big staff. I will say, like, we've got a lot of people on the line. We've got two expediters, a food runner, really just trying to ensure that the quality isn't missed to on that level and, and at that speed. But we also do a really good job of trying to communicate if a dish will take longer. Like, for instance, when we started out, we only served fresh print, fresh print, uh, sorry, French press coffee <laughs> in addition yeah. to, to drip coffee. But French press, is, if you know, takes it's about a four to five minute process. Right. So we'll even write it right on the menu, you know, for this, because a lot of people, again, in especially in the realm of breakfast, they have a very different expectation 
of what to expect from the food and, and the delivery. You know, they want coffee on the table immediately. So we really try to do our best to, to let them know if a dish is going to take longer, what the really outlining what those expectations are. And a lot of it is just, you know, your equipment, your setup and breakfast foods do cook pretty quickly, right? You know, I mean, our average pancake is taking only a couple minutes aside, you know, eggs are very, very fast. We were cooking completely on gas, you know, which I, you have to have that when you're doing eggs and omelets and things of that nature. But, and we always put our most skilled person on the egg station and always have a chef or a manager at the window. And we also, a big thing for us, we just implemented reservations, which is unheard huh. of. I don't know. Do you have open table in Seattle? Yeah, there, there's talk is pretty popular. Okay. Believe it or not, there's actually a couple of places that do the Yelp wait okay. list functionality, which is fine. I mean, it depends, kind of depends on the place. But yeah, the, the one that the ones that I'm most familiar with are, are Resi and, and talk. Open table yeah. is not as... Resi's pretty big here too, but open table is probably bigger, mm-hmm. but... We've always resisted, our customers have always asked us for it, and we've always resisted it, but just because of, we thought we couldn't turn our tables fast enough. Got but it. I think it, what it's done for us is it's continued the education with our clientele of, hey, here's what to expect. Like, this isn't a diner. This isn't, you know, you're going to get more of a curated experience here. And it just, I think it sets the expectations And so when they do sit down, they realize, okay, like this is going to be more of an elevated brunch type experience. If I might, if I wait 15 to 18 minutes for my, for my food, it's going to be okay. And we, and and the, again, the servers will sell an appetizer, they'll, they'll sell a cocktail, you know, things like that, that always help with, with that wait time. I'm a huge proponent of that because I find that most people see it as poor service. Mm -hmm to tell someone that there is going to be additional time that's required. It's going to be more expensive. Hey, there isn't that much actual availability on this item. And it's seen for whatever reason as like poor Mm -hmm. service or hospitality to communicate these seemingly negative things. And I feel like people paint them with an apology when in reality, it's just being clear with the guest. And most people appreciate it compared to, I'm sure you've experienced this, like you go to a place that is just not willing to have that transparency and then you're just frustrated as as the guest absolutely yeah yeah it's all about communication right i mean it's just as clear as you can be even i mean let's face it most restaurants you walk into now are going to be understaffed and we we do little things such as putting signage up at the door that says it's just a reminder please be please be kind we're still a little understaffed but I think it starts at the door, right? So you just, you simply greet someone when they walk in, you let them know, hey guys, gonna be a couple minutes. You know, if the server can't get to the table right away, a manager walks over, hey, your server will be right with you. Can I start you off with a drink? You know, just little things like that. I think that's just as who we are as human beings. We just wanna be communicated to and always know what's going on. You brought up the word coffee. Word on the street is you have a new machine in the restaurant. Can you talk to me about espresso and how you've been nerding out about that? I so personally, I'm a big espresso fan. I start every morning with an Americano light on the water and I'm just a a kind of a coffee geek, I guess. And we've always, we've never had an espresso machine. I think partly because we didn't really have the space. We didn't have the staff, you know, I could list a million reasons, but maybe it was fear but we finally got our, our espresso machine in. We hired a barista and it's just been amazing. There's been a latte or a cappuccino almost on every table. And it's just a, it's an amazing curated experience. And I think that it really delivers on that amazing brunch experience that people really want. So, I mean, it goes in with the ethos of, hey, this is going to take a little bit of extra mm-hmm. time, but... It allows, I think you and I were talking before, like it allows you to charge more. Your check average has right. gone up. It, it, it is in more line with, you know, it's not like drip coffee is coffee out of a out of bag in the same way that brunch items, you know, could be out of a bag. But I think that there is an element of like, it, it's so in line with everything else that you guys are doing. Here's a coffee that's brewed and curated just for you, especially for you. It's really yeah. exciting. And again, yeah, just like you stated, like it, it's completely in line with what, we're doing and what we're offering. I want to talk to you about your strategies and transparencies as an operator. 
in kind of doing a little bit of research on you for, for this mm -hmm. conversation, I stumbled upon an Instagram post you made where you were literally talking about the fact that like very transparently, I'm not being clear enough with my team. And I, I love that. I, 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 I wish that I could have seen more content like that when I was coming up and becoming a first time manager in a restaurant. And so I guess, have you always been like that? <laughs> like, did, did you feel like you had no. to push back on, <laughs> no. on the stereotypical chef culture? Like, t talk to me about that. Because in the greater scheme of restaurant owners, I would call that weird. Like, you and I being, you know, trying to be kind, empathetic leaders is not normal. So, so talk to me about where that came from and, and how you've navigated Yeah, I that. think, you know, originally starting out, and I, I feel like a mistake that most chef restaurant owners, let's, let's, start, with, let's start with the chefs, right? Because that's... Yeah. That's how I am. That's who I who I was. That's how I got started in the restaurant industry. I think a lot of reason that those types of people fail when they open restaurants is because they don't clearly understand the business side. It takes so much more than, oh, I can cook. And I think luckily for me, when I first opened, it was, I was in the business, not on the business. I, you know, as most of us fall victim of, I never understood about communicating. I didn't even barely know my front of the house. I just ran around like a chicken with my head cut off half the time. But as I, what I started to really, really appreciate was the business side of it. And that you have this whole team of people that are looking to you. And if they don't know your vision and your strategy, they're not going to all be on the same page. And so we did, it's, you know, oddly enough or funny enough, we did this exercise where we asked our management team who is responsible. We, we listed out like I don't know, seven or eight scenarios of what something, which specific manager was responsible for that task. And out of all the answers, all the questions we asked, I mean, they hardly any of them got all the same answer correct. So it just kind of goes to show you, it's like that telephone game you played when you were a kid, how easily something can get misconstrued. And you think that somebody's on the exact same page as you are, but in reality, we all learn differently. And I, I've come to realize that nobody can read my mind. So it's so important to articulate your vision and your strategy and where you want your business to go and what your mission statement is. And so that's something we're really working on is like, how do we unify if someone is listening to this and they're saying, shoot, Suzanne's right. Like, I don't, I don't have that figured out yeah. either. Do you have any sort of like practical frameworks that you guys have put out there and, and created for your team, whether it's like an org chart or some sort of visual yeah. graphic that you've created, or maybe it's just better job descriptions. Talk, talk to me about how the person listening can potentially take a step back in their business and, and look at all their responsibilities and be like, okay, this is how I'm going to actually concretize this. Sure. I, a really big thing for us is an accountability chart. It sounds mm. very elementary, but... Or corporate-y. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, like we, we like to think of restaurants as these, like, oh, it's, it's the art, it's, or, like, oh, it's the craft. We're not, we're not a big business. But in reality, it's like, you're right. Most people fall victim to these basic problems yeah. because they push back on and I think it's that yeah. like creative yeah. side to being a chef, right? And mm. because it's really like cooking is your hobby. And when you think about yep. it, it's like if your business isn't making money, it's your hobby. And so I think that mm. we do, we need to professionalize the industry as a whole and really look at it as this is a business. You know, at the end of the day, like it's just food and it's got to, if you're not making money, then it really is just your hobby. So I picked up the book called Traction, which I really highly recommend. I love yeah, that book. Amazing. I love that book. And we actually started working with a local integrator. So in most cities, they have an integrator that will actually walk you through how to do the exercises. I put my whole management team through it. And one of the big key takeaways from it is having that accountability chart and really clearly defining your roles, right? Like who's responsible for what? Because if two people are responsible for one thing, it's not going to get done. So that's really helped us tremendously. And we display it for all the staff to see. Again, do they, do some of them really understand? Maybe not, but I, I, it has been a game changer for us. Of If we have a question about something, we look at the chart and we revisit. We make sure to revisit quarterly because it does change. And just really putting effort into those things. Yeah, it's helped us a lot. You touched on this point before we started recording on this idea of having to repeat yourself with the things that you value, the vision that you've set. Can you kind of 
bang that drum a little bit more for right. folks if they're, you know, having experiencing high turnover or they're like, well, I told my staff this once already. I fell victim to this too, where it's like, you need to set the tone consistently, 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 almost to the point when your staff, I, I, I look at it now as like, oh, some of the best cultures and restaurants that I can remember where I really look to them as like a beacon for standards or operational excellence. It's almost like you can make fun yeah. of them. Like you can meme, you can meme it and and people would call it drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever. But I look at that now. Yes, exactly. And I look at that now and I'm like, oh, well, they actually were doing a really good job of articulating that. So can can you jam on that? Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, I'm a a huge believer in that myself. And I know it can be kind of cult-like and drinking the Kool-Aid. Yes. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's, you know, it's so important to, I think us as humans, we need to hear things at least five times which can seem very frustrating to an owner or a manager to tell your employee over and over and over again, but it, it takes at least five times for something to click. So one thing that we actually did for the first time to start the quarter, and we're now gonna do it every single quarter, is we call it the state of the company meeting. And that's where Love the it. owner gets up, so I get up and my management team gets up and we briefly go over again what the vision is. We talk about the finances, again, we don't, share all the numbers, but we do share like a five line PL. So just the very basic, you know, here's the revenue, here's the labor, here's our profit. And also it's really important to like remember to celebrate the wins, right? So with the staff, it's so easy to harp on the negatives, which I used to do a lot in the beginning of my career. But now I really try to celebrate those little things, especially with the staff, because that that makes them feel really important. But yeah, just just going over and over again, what are our goals? What are we striving for? What's our marketing efforts? Who's our actual, who is our, our target audience, right? That's important too. And really understanding who that customer is. So that's, that's, been, that's been huge for us. It's just over and over again. Every time we have a lineup, every time we have a company meeting, we talk about, okay, what is our company vision? And we also like to address every problem or question with what is going to be best for the business. It's not personal, but what is going to be best for this restaurant? I have this funny thing that I've been telling my team lately, which is kind of how I'm wanting to take repertoire as a brand being a, an educational force for the industry. And it's this kind of I, I, I struggle to say anti true cooks. But there is some ethos of that. I don't know if you're familiar with the brand True Cooks, but it's this like pirate culture, tattooed sleeves, just figure it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of, kind of. And I never really resonated with that. And and I think that it's so interesting that you're pioneering something different. I'm trying to put something. That's why I think I, I, I wanted to jam with you so much on this stuff. I guess my question for you is if you have someone that comes in with that, kind of mentality? Do you find that they're having a little bit of whiplash? Are there things that 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 person has to unlearn? Because you're like, we actually do things a little bit more buttoned up here. And and, and does that person eventually come around to appreciating that? I guess I'm trying to I'm trying to understand because it's so popular in our industry to be a pirate, you know, and and I I don't I don't I don't I don't know, that was never for me. And so I guess, how how do you think about that? I think it's, we're artists, right? And you get this mentality and I struggled from this a little bit in the beginning is like, you just want to create this. You live in almost a delusion a little bit of like, Oh, I just want to create 10 dishes and serve it to the, the foodies and the chefs. But like in reality, we are not serving other chefs. We're serving the general public and chefs need to understand that. And I think what has done our industry a big disservice is like this rock star persona that's been created through the Food Network and the open kitchen vibe and the tattoos and, you know, we're this like rock star. In reality, it's probably like 10% of the population that can survive that way, right? Again, it's if that's how you really want to cook and that's how you really want to make a living, you should just cook as your hobby and you should do private dinner parties in your home. Because yep. it's just not it's just not realistic. And again, I do I do believe people really do want like a cool experience. But for me, what I do is to really flex that muscle. I'll do a pop up dinner, or I'll do a cool 
something, you know, a seasonal jam that I can can or I'll pickle something or I'll do something that like lets me flex that creative muscle. But we have had a really hard time hiring chefs in the past just because for that reason, they're just, it's like they're too creative. They're always wanting to put 16 garnishes on something or, you know, it's just like, I respect that. I have a love for that. But in reality, it's just, it's, it's almost like you could equate it to becoming a famous rock star, right? How hard is that to do? And how long does it last? Exactly. Like there's a very small, I mean, Mm -hmm. look at Wiley Dufresne. He's opening a pizza place. He opened a donut concept, you know, I mean, and no, I think it's smart of him. He's a smart businessman. You know, he realizes that restaurants like, you know, WD-50 and those really high end fine dining experiences, it's just, it's really hard to, to make that a sustainable living. Do you have any other helpful frameworks? You talked about the Traction book. I know that you and I geek out about a lot of the same business creators and you listen to podcasts too. I guess, can you talk a little bit about other resources that you've found helpful? Because we have all, we have, we have cookbooks galore. Like we have all of these, you know, creative, inspirational food styled, you know, recipes, but I I shared it on a podcast a couple of weeks ago where I got a lot of inspiration from like entrepreneurship books as I kind of like stepped into this next chapter of not being a sous chef anymore. So, so what else has been helpful yeah, for you? And, and honestly, I, I love that you bring that up because I used to be just such an avid cookbook reader. And I mean, of course I still have my cookbooks. I love them, but I read more business books now and entrepreneur books. And again, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a love for those things because it's so vital into running a business. One minute manager is, is a great book. That's, we give that to all of our new managers very easy read, easy to comprehend. The Buddha and the Badass has been, I don't know if you've read that. Amazing. Nope. It's like, Putting it it's on like the list, my Bible. Though. I like to read about 10 minutes of it every morning if I can. It goes uh-huh. through a lot of just, you know, kind of how to visualize your ideal life and how to find this work-life balance when you're a business owner. I highly recommend that book. Another one we just are recently reading is Unreasonable Hospitality, Will Gadara from 11 Love Madison it. Park. And it's really fun. My general manager and I actually do a book club on it. So we read four to five chapters. We come together. We talk about it. That's been that's been really fun and amazing. I'm trying to think. Oh, there's so many good ones. What about like shows that you listen to or content creators who have put out frameworks that you've adopted? So show, you know, I don't listen to as many podcasts. I listen to Andrew Huberman sometimes. Yep. Yeah. He's he's awesome. Again, I'm really into kind of that balance and health and taking care of myself. I've always been really, really passionate about the health industry. Let's pivot there for a second, I guess, because I wanted to jam with you on that. Not a lot of chefs prioritize their health. I, it took me, I was six or seven years into the industry. I had just become a manager. I was at a point where I wasn't kind of like straining myself on the line physically Mm -hmm. every single day. And so I decided, okay, well, I'm actually going to come home at, it was around midnight and I'm going to sleep until 730. I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have coffee and then I'm going to be at the gym at 830. And then I'm going to be at the gym from 830 to 930. I'm going to come home, shower, and then I can be back in the restaurant by 11, you know, to like start yep. my shift again. And that was the only time when I was actually able to to, to start. It's gone nowhere but up from here for me, which I've, I've really enjoyed. And, and I, I totally understand the fact that I'm not in a restaurant day to day anymore. So I have a little bit more of that time to focus on that. But how how have you one? Let's let's start there. How how has health come to light for you? Has that always been a priority? And and what are some habits that you've leveraged lately? I, you know, I, I want to say, I want to say it's always been a passion. I don't think it's always been a priority yeah. just because, you know, like you, it's, mm. you're on the line, you eat standing up, you, you know, it's, I have, I always have had a lot of anxiety. It's very hard for me to pay attention in situations. It's hard for me to sit <laughs> at a computer. Like I think chefs too, in general are very just on the go, lots of energy. And and yeah, it's hard when you're working like a 12-hour shift to to prioritize anything. But I think what kind of clicked for me is when I lost my dad. He, he you know, he was older and it was it was he had a heart condition, but you start to realize I remember like like his last years in life. He just he wasn't exercising. 
he really wasn't prioritizing his health in any way. And it was like, God, I feel like he would have prolonged his life if he had done those things. And that's like really when things started to click for me. And then obviously I think like everybody else, COVID, you start to realize, oh my gosh, like you have this amazing body that can repair itself. And I mean, the things that the the human body can do is, is amazing, right? And so we got to take care of it. And so I think that it's, if you don't take, if you don't put a priority in that, you know, you're not going to be around very long. Um, totally. And no one else is going to do it for you. Right. Either. And, and I understand it's, mm-hmm. it is really hard, but for me, I think I'm luckily I am a morning person anyway, but just establishing a morning routine that you can stick to. Can you run us through yours? If yeah, you don't mind? absolutely. Like a, so like, uh, I yeah. loved it. So I have a dog, which helps a lot, an yeah. active dog. So what I try yeah. to do the first thing in the morning, as soon as I wake up, I take him on a walk. I just try to get outside nice. for, you know, 15 minutes if I can. And usually that'll turn into maybe 20 minutes. Then I usually have, I usually take a shower and then I'll end with a cold shower. I love the cold exposure. It just kind of wakes me up, gives me a ton of energy. And then I usually will have my coffee. And that's when I, I love to like, I call it eat the frog, which I sit down and I tackle whatever the, the worst task is of the day. You know, it's either, it's usually something administrative. It's like checking the email or writing a recipe or doing something that I just don't love doing. I knock that out first. Then I usually will take a break because my mind just needs a break. I'll meditate. I might do a little yoga. I'm really into naps now, which I've never been a nap taker ever. I'm not a great sleeper, but even if I can lie down for about 30 minutes, somewhere in the middle of my day, it helps tremendously for me. And yeah, I just, I I try to eat a breakfast, like a good, well-rounded, breakfast, usually like eggs, maybe some fruit, a whole grain. And that just helps me a lot, you know, just really trying to take, if I do get overwhelmed or I start to get tired, even just taking a five minute break to breathe is, is huge. And I really try to teach that to my management team too. do some yoga, just find a way to, to, to get present and block out all that, that noise. Do you find that that also like do people push back on that? I, I just, I, I think it's funny to sometimes see people who neglect their health on one hand, and then they will also say, look how dedicated I am to this craft and this work and this job or whatever, not realizing that if they were to prioritize the health side a little bit more, it would allow them to be more engaged, to be a better teammate, continue playing the game for longer. And I just think that's a funny thing where people will push back on the health stuff because like, oh, well whatever, whatever, insert reason. Well, and I think it, what's, it's like, it's all through experiences, right? Like what we just need to like globally do a better job of is we have to start teaching it in school, you know? I mean, it's, mm. and, I, and I think they are doing that now. Like they're, they are starting to teach meditation. And so I think as you get older and you go through the experiences of, well, God, that really didn't work very well for me. I think that's harder to, to translate that to a, you know, 22 year old who's never been taught any of those things. And so unfortunately it might take something for like, oh, they burned out or they had a bad experience for them to really like start to prioritize it. But also more importantly, as an industry, we need to prioritize that. Like it's unheard of to give a server or a cook a break for lunch or 10 minute, you know, step off the line, collect your thoughts. So we're, as a company, trying to, to implement things like that, like giving somebody a break, letting them go take lunch. You know, it, it's just difficult in the hospitality industry to do that. So I think collectively, like as owners like we, and leaders, we need to learn how to prioritize that. And I think staff and employees will follow suit. Can you talk a little bit about, with the success of, of your projects and understanding that you do pop-ups mm-hmm. too, how do you... Do you have any frameworks that are helpful for how to say no? Because I think that, you know, between TV things and making content and writing another cookbook, there's there's just so many things that people can be pulled in directions of. So how do you how do you say no? Or how do you how do you think about that? That's an amazing topic. And I will say as a woman, it's can be very difficult to say no. But, you know, it's really like exercising a muscle, right? You just have to practice it. (laughs) You just Saying no is not a bad thing. I've learned that the hard way. I used to just do everything. But now through experience, I've learned to 
I like to really think about something before I commit to it and is like, okay, is this, is this the best decision for the company? Is this the best decision for me? And one thing that I started to do now that I've never really did is just getting advice from people. If I have a question of whether or not I should do something, I'm very fortunate to have be surrounded by an amazing team of people. And I go to them now for support. You know, what do y'all think? Should I do this? Is this best for us? You know, it's really as simple as that, where before I really tried to build up these walls and do everything on my own, and I'm very hard-headed and stubborn, and just trying to work through that with the help of of my peers, really. But yeah, saying no no is tough, and I I will tell you, I did learn that the hard way of, of taking on too much and then realizing, okay, that was not, that wasn't a great decision. There are a lot of folks listening who see the value in pop-ups, or that's literally their strategy for how they're going to launch their concepts. And so we talked a little bit about how you think about operations in in the restaurant. Do those principles change when you think about a pop-up? Are there any sort of strategies or tactics that you guys think about when you're doing a pop-up that might be beneficial for the audience to think about of like, hey guys, we figured this out and we don't do this and we set things up this way. That, that might help folks? Yeah, I think maybe because we've done some pop-ups before that have been really successful, but I would say like in the past, I've kind of done them a little bit more blindly where it's like, again, mm. that's where the chef, the creative side kicks in. I'm like, ooh, this sounds fun without really a plan <laughs> or a vision. So yeah. I, I will say like, if you are planning to do a pop-up, it needs to be more premeditated, right? So it, it's a great way to, to do R&D on something. So if you Mm -hmm. have a concept Mm -hmm. in mind that let's say for instance, you want to do hamburgers. Okay. Who's my target audience? Where would I potentially open? Like have a framework, have a plan, and then use that pop-up as I'm going to test the market. I'm going to see what they really want. I think a lot of chefs just go into it where they're just, at least I did. (laughs) It was more just for fun and I didn't really have a plan. And, you know, because of that, I don't think I was as successful as, as it could have been. But pop-ups are great. Like, I think that's a great return on, on your investment. Profit margins are really high. So, you know, just, yeah, I think if it's a great, easy way to, to test an idea. How do you think about growth uh, is maybe what I'll call it. That this, this like, well, we could expand to other cities. We could take on more versus this idea of, no, we're actually going to just dial in what we have, there's there, there's this great book. I think it's Small Giants. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know companies who choose to be. I think the subtitle is companies who choose to be great instead of big. Do 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 you follow that philosophy a little bit? How do you think about about growth? Because I think people people see a little bit of success and they feel compelled to just continue to feed the yeah. machine versus you know just dialing in what they have and being. I don't know. How do you? Yeah, think about I that? mean, I'm definitely more of a component of you know do less better. And it, there's been a reason, I mean, we've, our restaurant's been open 10 years and we've, I've turned down every opportunity to open a second location. Now I, I can't tell you that I would never do it. Would I open 10? No. I just feel that our model specifically is not really geared. It's just, you lose your uniqueness. I used to tell people all the time, like, they're like, why don't you have a second one? I was like, well, there's only one of me. So you know, I think there's a lot of importance and you you really want to crawl before you walk, I guess. So if you have an amazing team and infrastructure in place, by all means, go ahead, replicate it. I think that's totally doable. But I think where some people fall too victim is they, they grow too fast and they don't have those procedures in place. And again, there's a reason, you know, you can knock corporate all you want, but I do think there's that that balance where you can find kind of like restaurant style with corporate style, but it's really, really important that you have all those procedures in place first. And I think people, they just, they grow too fast and they just get this opportunity to open somewhere and they haven't really figured it out yet. And so they just stretch themselves too thin. I, to your artist point, I think what I, the, maybe the way to equate it is People set up two stages for them to that they themselves to perform at when they open a second location. It's like, well, I have this stage that I perform at, and then I'm just going to open another stage for me to perform mm-hmm. at. Not understanding that you actually need to think about it more like two concepts that can run independently. Right. Is that maybe a yeah? I don't know. No, I, I, I this is the first time I'm. I think that's that. you're completely right, and it's like kind of like, well, I can't be in two places at once. 
But yep. I do think that if you plan it correctly and you have the right people in place and you know you have the right brand and all that, it's it's 100% can be done. I guess we just haven't, we're not there yet. We want to grow in ways like such as catering and private events and maybe a bakery and kind of everything going back into the restaurant, maybe a farm one day. We have this kind of vision of, of we call it Buttermilk Village. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, again, I think that it can totally be done. I mean, look at Chick-fil-A. Look at places like that. Like you can, it can be done. The quality can be there, but you do have to introduce sort of that corporate style to be successful. I don't want to spend too much time on this topic, but I get a lot of questions from folks who get that DM from the casting agent on TV things. And, And you've been on some programs before. And so I guess to the person who has just gotten reached out to of, hey, I want you to be on a Guy Fieri show or I want you to be on Chopped or Top Chef just reached out. Do you have any tips there on how people can make the most of a TV experience? Yeah, I think number one, first and foremost, it kind of goes back to like saying no, right? Make sure it's a good Mm. fit for you personally. I, I, I actually just got a DM the other day. They wanted me to be on some baking competition and can I, can I do fundamentals of baking? Yes. Am I a pastry chef? No. So probably wouldn't be the best fit for me. So I would say first and foremost, just make sure like it's the way that you want to be represented. <laughs> and then if you do decide to do it, you know, just do your research, do your homework, watch the show, obviously, <laughs> depending on what type of show it is. And just be true to yourself. I will say that what people probably don't understand if they've obviously they've never been on TV is they want to make good TV, right? So with that comes drama and producers and they are there to capture something interesting and you don't want to get too caught up in that. You know, just just mm-hmm. be authentic and genuine and cook your food, no one else's, and try to just, as hard as it is, just try to drown out that noise and be you. Like, authenticity is the most important thing when you're doing anything like that. And it totally resonates when you're there. Do you find that it either in the moment gives you a little bit of credence for your business? Like you see a spike in people who are coming to to the restaurant or visiting your Instagram profile or, or whatever, or do you see it much more as there's actually more benefit I can get long-term from this association with Bobby Flay or the Food Network or Bravo because I can now forever say I was on XYZ show. I think it really depends on the show. For Chopped is was such an amazing growth exercise for me personally as a chef. Like if you are on one of those types of shows, do not expect your Instagram following to double overnight. It will it will not. But it will really help you grow as as a chef. Now, when we did Diners, Drive-ins and Dives with Guy Fieri, sales doubled. Um, wow. that uh, that show is so, I mean, it's like 44 million viewers on the first night or something, and then they just keep repeating it. And so yeah. that those type of situations, really healthy for the business, great exposure. I mean, you couldn't pay for that type of advertising. I mean, you could, but it would be a fortune. So it really just depends, again, like on picking what is best for you in that moment. There's a, I have one more question for you, and then I want to get into some rapid fire ones. When we're talking about, and I don't know how much of the the hiring that you do, but maybe you can talk about the times that yeah. you were kind of sitting in the hiring yeah. chair. I call this the, the meta job interview okay. question. So you ask someone a question as part of an interview. What I find when I'm interviewing folks for my team is like, it's not what I'm looking for in their in the answer, it's like, how do they answer it? Is there an under? It's like there's a, there's something deeper to their answer. Is there anything that you like to keep in mind in interviews, or maybe a specific question that you ask, and what you're looking for to help screen candidates that might be a part of your team? Yeah, I try. You know, we try to stick. So, well, I'm. I try to completely remove myself from HR now, but we have core values that. So we that's really something that we like to look for. And one of them, the the most important one to us is investment. Is that employee going to be invested? So I kind of like to go like off the script a little bit. I like to understand who that person is outside of work. Do they have hobbies? Do they have goals? You know, are they driven? And also like most importantly, I like to ask them what they already know about the restaurant. 
Like, have they done their research? Because we're different than most restaurants in the fact that we stress heavily on sourcing local, supporting the community. It's not just food to us. It's different. It's about that whole connection. So I also, I always like to learn, like to see if they are enthusiastic about that, because then I know that they'll be invested in what we're doing. I love that. Let's do some rapid fire ones because I want to make okay. sure you get out of here. Oh, on time. I'm not good at so, rapid fire. It's okay. It's okay. We'll, we'll <laughs> you, I, I say they're rapid fire questions. They don't have to be rapid okay. fire answers. That's if, that, that's if, that's if that's helpful, if that's helpful. So, so this show is called the repertoire podcast. I define repertoire as this kind of set of skills that you take with you. And so a way to potentially tee this up might be if Suzanne had to, you know, get reset to zero and there was all these skills that you had previously on a shelf and you had to pick one out to potentially start with, what's like the most valuable part of your repertoire? The thing that you would pick first to kind of take with you if you had to start over again? Oh my gosh. Ooh, I guess maybe like learning how to read people. There's so many different personalities and learning how to, you know, can some can you be more firm with someone? Do you have to be more gentle? So yeah, I guess that's something that's helped me tremendously. Do you define that? Would you define that as empathy, or would you define that as more like contextual adaptability? Ooh, maybe? probably a little bit of both. Um, yeah. You know, I think yeah, you, yeah. you definitely have to be empathetic to all types of people because you have no idea what's going on. You know, their spouse could have asked for a divorce a week ago. They're, you know there's so many different things so I think that's so so important but I guess just learning again like as a chef I I, when I started I just thought I had to cook but it's learning how to 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 exist to coexist with all different types of people and behaviors and personalities so I'm I'm way more open and receptive to that now than I've ever been you're probably the most positioned person on this podcast to answer this question i ask guests it's a saturday morning and you go into your kitchen it's the first day of your weekend and you're going to make eggs for yourself how do you make those eggs soft scrambled so this is what i'm doing right now soft scrambled in a taco i like to toast off my tortilla like over a flame taco make like a little like spicy aioli maybe some pickled vegetables crispy bacon some cheese I love it. It's soft scrambled. I, I love, love. and I love poached eggs, but probably soft yep. scrambled. What's one thing you've changed your mind on in recent memory, if anything comes to mind? Ooh, probably growing the business. Honestly, I used to be really against more of that corporate style, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm way more for it now. Was it just a slow nudge of of seeing other people operating their businesses, or was there just kind of like a a singular moment. I always like to ask this because it's some, sometimes it's like that. It just chips away at you over mm-hmm. and over again. Or sometimes, depending on how the person learns, it has to be this experience of like the quote unquote hitting rock bottom for you to realize, oh shit, something needs to change. Yeah, I think it's more just like through business books. Like there wasn't like a, I don't, I don't think there was just like one moment that changed, but I think it was more just like, I never really understood how to run a business. And once I started mm. to really educate myself on that, I really started to change my mind on certain things of like, okay, not everything has to be so perfect. Like we can still serve a good, consistent product, but also turn a profit at the same time. And like, that's okay. So yeah, I think that was a really big, big lesson for me. You somehow get a call right after this interview that you just want an all expenses paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to speak with waiting to have dinner with you. That's a good one. Gosh, I well, I've never been to Alinea. I would love yep. to, I would love to go there and I would probably bring Ooh, this is going to be funny. This is like totally off, not in the same industry. I would I, w- I would want to sit with Jimmy Fallon just because I love him okay. and he would make me laugh and I don't know. It's the perfect kind of environment to Alinea so like playful yeah. with their food that he would just probably be like giggling yeah. the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I think he's awesome and I it, feel like he loves food and we would just have a good time. So is there anything you'd ask him? Like if you genuinely got to sit with Jimmy Fallon for three hours, Gosh. what would you talk about? I don't know. Maybe like more of just like how he how he kind of made this transition of, of making him, turning himself into a, a brand. You know, I think a, a good thing too is like what I've also learned is how to invest in yourself and your name is your brand. And I never thought about that before. And I think he's done a really good job, obviously, of turning himself into a brand. But 
I also like how his style is he he's never too serious and he kind of always keeps it lighthearted and I would maybe just ask him like how do you how do you find that balance how do you find that happiness of being super super famous but also like I don't know he just seems to have really genuinely have fun at the same time and so I'd probably ask him how he how he does that Suzanne I respect you a lot and what you do and how you're navigating the world and business and your own personal life and so I just want to say thank you for thank coming you. on is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about or anything that you want to leave the, the audience um, with? I, I feel like we covered a lot of it I will say I'm just I just learned I'm gonna be writing a second cookbook so look out for yes. that I'm very excited but no yeah I think we we covered most of it and I really appreciate you having me on where do you want to send folks ideally to let's say maybe get in touch with you first a great way to get in touch is either through my instagram it's at chefy suzanne or you can find the restaurant at buttermilk kitchen my email is suzanne at buttermilkkitchen.com and you can find us on open table if you want to come eat with us or through our website is www.buttermilkkitchen.com suzanne thanks again it's always great to see you and catch up thanks Well, well, here we are together again at the end of another episode of the Repertoire Podcast. If this is your first time listening, this is a show for hospitality creators who want to think better, increase their performance, and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have already learned. I am your host, Justin Kana, and if you're new here, I'd like to personally welcome you to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Friendly heads up to check out the show notes inside of the description of this podcast if you want to check out previous guests, links to specifics that got brought up in this episode, as well as other helpful content that we create and share here online because everything we do is focused on helping you along your journey. If you don't have a ton of time, the best place to start is with some value sent straight to your inbox every single week. It's called the Repertoire Newsletter, where we share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. If you subscribe, we'll keep you up to date on trends that are shaping the hospitality creator ecosystem. We'll share discounts on gear that we find, as well as content that we've been producing ourselves and helpful articles that we've already read and decided are worth your time. Last up, if you want to connect with other other industry professionals in the Repertoire Pro community. You want to check out courses like Total Station Domination or download free tools that we've created. You can learn more at joinrepertoire.com. That's J-O-I-N-R-E-P-E-R-T-O-I-R-E.com. The only ask from me is that if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate a review of this show on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. Regardless, I'll see you in the next episode. My name is Justin Kana, and I hope Hope you have a good one.